0: awesome to be back with you today. Uh, last week I was away at a church revitalization conference in Orlando, Florida. The adventure getting back home to be with you was uh, just something else. Uh, we left the Orlando airport about a half hour in the air and there was some issue at the cargo door. They said, we've got to go back to Orlando. So you're like, okay, we're going to crash. What's going on here? Um, We safely arrived back in Orlando, but then I missed a connecting flight. I had to stay where my connecting flight would have been overnight, Thursday into Friday, and then fly back Friday. So if my face is looking tired and all that, that's why. Um, But it is so good to be with you. And uh, so joyful to get to sing with you. I want to say I appreciate our brothers and sisters who want to stay cautious and are wearing a mask or are with us online. But I also want to say how joyful it is to hear you sing loudly and sing Amazing Grace. My, my chains are gone with, with gusto. So that is a joyful thing. Uh, we have been on a journey through uh, a series we call The Foundations of Faith and looking at the book of Hebrews uh sometime last Summer. I was looking at what we would do after Christmas, and I was looking at the book of Hebrews and how it lined up with our essentials of faith that we celebrate in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. So as a result, through this series, we've looked at the authority of Scripture uh, that we saw from Hebrews 1. We looked at God as our creator. Uh, we've, we've seen Jesus as our Savior through different angles and how God brings about salvation through Christ. Uh, last week, Pastor Greg talked about the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit and how he does this inside transforming work in our lives. And today we get to connect those two things. What Jesus does in the plan of God for salvation, how his doing an inside work in our lives through this new covenant we'll talk about is at the heart of that. And how we no longer have to do the heavy lifting of our salvation, trying to earn or deserve God's favor because Jesus has done it for us. So we're today in Hebrews 8. And I just want to say, I'm going to comment, we are skipping over chapter 7. Uh, Chapter 7 is this interesting chapter about Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, some pronounce. This priest who came and anointed or blessed Abraham. Uh, When God had called Abraham to be blessed, to be a blessing to others, he sent this priest, mysterious figure named Melchizedek, to go and anoint Abraham. For the work God had for him to do. He's kind of a shadowy figure. He sort of comes on the scene, does this act of blessing, and then retreats. But the writer of Hebrews saw in Melchizedek a type of forerunner, a type of Christ, that, that there's a, an eternal nature to this priesthood, and it goes on forever. It's a continued blessing, and it also uh, points to what will ultimately be accomplished. And now the writer of Hebrews connects the dots and what the priesthood of Melchizedek was about and what Jesus does for us in orchestrating our salvation. So today we are in chapter 8 of Hebrews. would love for you to follow along either in the insert on the bulletin and the Bible in the chairs or on the screens um, there. And it's so nice to have our second screen back. I want to thank you for all those that... Right before I left on my trip, Joe Fowler was on this lift, like up there trying to do all this stuff. I appreciate Dave Kimmick, Joe Fowler, Pastor Greg, Bo. There's a lot of people that went into getting that going for us again. So chapter 8 of Hebrews. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it was necessary for this one, Jesus, also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy or shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as a covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to say, thanks be to God. When you think about the difference between a covenant and a contract, I wonder for you what comes to mind. A covenant is one that is relational in nature. It's connectional. It's formed on a, on a dynamic between two people that are committed to one another. For instance, a while back, I got to go and participate in the wedding of Laurel Thiel, one of our missionary partners. Here's Laurel. Let's say hi to Laurel real quick. Laurel's here and is going to share about her ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in the Sacramento area. And I remember being at her wedding with Stephen Guy got his name right. Yeah. Sean. Sean I knew it was an S. <laughs> Darn it. Sean. She married Sean. And uh, and I got to be there at the wedding with mom, not Stephen with Sean. And 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 here's the thing. The the best part of this. Their wedding takes place. Her uncle performed the ceremony. I've known her uncle Kurt for years. And uh, they, they walked out, songs song started playing plays, joyful song. Laurel didn't just like do this walking out with my new husband. I mean, Laurel was like skipping and jumping and doing this, you know. She was so excited to be entering into this covenant relational dynamic with Sean. <laughs> and she knew, I, I, I saw on her face, I saw on Sean, they knew that this was, this was it. This was a commitment they were making. for for life and and in their marriage relationship. It was a covenant in every way. Well, contrast that with a contract. A contract isn't necessarily binding. If one person breaks it, it's like, oh, well, you know, there may, not, may, there may not be a relational component to it. Like, I have a contract with Verizon, my cell phone company. I do not know anybody with Verizon. And if Verizon keeps, you know, increasing their rates, I might go somewhere else for my cell phone contract, okay? It is very different than a covenant. A covenant is this relational dynamic. And the big idea or main point of the message today is this. In Jesus, we have a better covenant relationship. Uh, Excuse me. In Jesus, we have a high priest who is able to make, sustain, and fulfill a new and better covenant relationship between us and and God. I'm going to say this again. In Jesus, we have a high priest who is able to make, sustain, and fulfill a new and better covenant relationship between us and God. You see, our covenant-making God is about having this deep connection uh, with us. He wants attachment with us. He wants to be joined together with us. And his saving purpose isn't just to save us out of sin and then leave us to ourselves. No, he wants to save his people but draw them into relationship with him. And this has always been true. I mean, he rescues the the Israelites out of Egypt, and then he gives the Ten Commandments in order to stay and maintain in that relationship. But was it maintained? No, it was broken because of the sinfulness of human beings. They could not uphold their side of the covenant. But God didn't give up. He wanted to stay connected and attached to us. So of all that can be said on this subject, this is the highlight and conclusion that the writer of Hebrews gets to in chapter 8. He says, Jesus Christ is exactly the kind of high priest we need, and he is working for us in heaven in order to maintain that connectional relationship between us and God. He is wholly innocent and without sin. He is perfectly pleasing to God who appointed him for that very reason. At the same time, he is man, one of us and experienced in our temptations and struggles and is perfectly able to understand every difficulty we encounter. He knows what it is like. The writers already told us about the kind of high priest we do not have. In chapter 4 of Hebrews, he says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way we are, but was without sin. We can therefore approach God's throne of grace with confidence, he says, and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus has paved the way for us so we don't need to have fear or anxiety about approaching the throne of God because there's already this perfect, acceptable sacrifice that is on the throne of heaven for all time. We don't need to worry now. We can come before him at any time with our requests and ultimately for our greatest need to be saved from our sin. Uh, at Halloween time, uh, Josh and Levi were with a group of friends from the church and others that, that, that went trick-or-treating. And uh, Josh was the oldest uh, one in the group. And, and there happened to be a, uh, a younger kid in our group who, who was really scared. I mean, he's looking at these houses and he's like, I don't know if I, I mean, I don't know if the candy's worth it to try to approach that house. It looks scary. I don't know these people and I don't know, you know, what they're going to give me exactly. I mean, for that kid, it was kind of fearful to, to approach that house. And I watched the first time what happened. Josh kind of, you know, turns around, he sees what's going on, he sees that fearful uh, child at the time, and he goes and he takes him by the hand, and he walks him up to the house, and he gets the candy, and that kid and Josh and all the other kids come bounding back like Laurel after her wedding, hopping and skipping, because they got this candy. And I watched the whole rest of the night. It's my little friend, RJ, I'm referring to Every time they went up the house then, R.J. would like grab Josh's hand and just feel totally comfortable approaching this house. No fear, doing great. That's what Jesus does for us. He provides a way for us to approach the home of heaven with confidence, without fear and trembling, because he ultimately kind of takes our hand relationally. He is committed to us and does not give up on us. He is covenantally committed to staying connected. Jesus in this is the mediator of God's new covenant. The arrangement of relationship between God and his people is mediated or experienced through Jesus. And in this new relationship, everyone has the opportunity to know God personally. Again, not going through another intermediary like we talked about a few weeks ago. God writes his laws in their hearts, giving us the ability to obey and forgives and forgets our sins when we do fall short, which we will. Rarely does a biblical writer conclude a discussion by specifically identifying the main point. But this one, I don't think we can miss. Because in verse 1, he says, this is it. (laughs) The main point is that Jesus Christ is the exact kind of high priest just described in chapter 7. And in this uh, opening verse, the author picks out this principle and, and develops it. Now, what's happening here is a radical shift, particularly for the Jews, because the Jews had a sense of covenant. They believed they were the chosen people of God, that God said, you know, you're my people, which he had. And they believed that they were in a unique relationship with God founded on the Old Testament law, that if they obeyed God, you know, they would stay in this dynamic, loving relationship with God. So when the writer says there's a new covenant, And the old covenant is obsolete. It's like he's pulling the rug out from under them and their understanding of things. But what he's doing when he pulls out the rug is actually then laying a better foundation. And that covenant foundation, uh, you know, is a dynamic of God's committed love. The Old Testament word is hesed. Hesed is one of my favorite Hebrew words because it's covenant committed love. It is loving kindness, mercy, covenantal commitment. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is God's hesed love, his covenant love is reflected, you know, in the original covenant with the Israelites. He loves them. He cares, cares for them. He's committed. But in Jesus, it's like that signed and sealed. Like when I perform a, a wedding, you know, the, the, the bride and groom you know, sign the, the, the marriage covenant. But then I sign it at the end. okay? And it makes this solemn and binding, this, this covenantal agreement. Well, through Jesus and his blood shed for us, it's that signing and sealing of the covenant of God's continued commitment for us. But he does both sides of it. And enabling it to be fulfilled. He he initiates it, but then he accomplishes it through Jesus. So while the Old Testament period was one of covenant commitment and God's desire for relationship, this new covenant is now based on the death of Jesus. The sacrifice that establishes this new covenant. And the demonstration of what it means is spelled out at the end of the covenant with Moses. That that that, that covenant is no longer binding in terms of the way the relationship with God is going to be instituted. So the old covenant, the ways of God relating there, gives place to a new covenant. In the earthly sanctuary, the tent or tabernacle or temple that they had, different uh, means and times of meeting with God, is superseded by this heavenly tent or tabernacle that the writer talks about. And the Old Testament sacrifices that had to be done again and again and again and again because the continued nature of sin gives way to this effective eternal sacrifice that Christ accomplishes once and for all. You know, we, we often think about like you know, relationships and, and, and reaching God. We, we think about you know, what we could do to offer ourselves or a sacrifice that could be worthy enough for God to receive us. And yet the reality is there never can be on our end. There's no sacrifice we could make. There's no offering of ourselves that would ever earn or deserve God's favor. We need Christ to do that for us and to accomplish it. And so what we see is we do have a high priest one who is able to make an acceptable sacrifice before God. And we know is acceptable because of this. In in verse 1 and 2 it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Who serves, he serves in the heavenly sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. The main point of this is that Christ is now our exalted, triumphant Lord. He's seated at the right hand of the throne in heaven. And that seated aspect is the reflection of an accomplished quality. It's it's finished. He's seated at the right hand. It's this place of authority and privilege and honor because he's done all that was necessary for us. And not just on earth, but ultimately in heaven. And he's going to pull all those who turn to Christ for their salvation in with him. So when he's, when he's offering himself as a sacrifice on the throne of heaven, it's like he's offering us too in his humanity. He is making a sacrifice that's acceptable and received by God because of the perfect nature of his life. He becomes the effective intermediary we need that we could, and, and to accomplish what we could never accomplish on our own. So the old priests would minister before God in an earthly tabernacle. Aaron and his sibling and his uh, his children served as priests in a Levitical priesthood, in which they had to continue to offer sacrifices of animals again and again and again, and then in that earthly tabernacle. But Jesus makes a once and for all sacrifice in the heavenly tabernacle. His ascension to that true and right place before God is then what draws us in with him. We don't have to sacrifice ourselves again and again to try to earn God's favor. We celebrate that Christ has already done that. We get to then offer ourselves as living sacrifices before God, as it talks about in Romans 12, as a way of saying thank you and expressing gratitude to God, but not as a way of trying to earn or deserve it. What we celebrate then is that Jesus is great because of where he is. He's in the, the, the ultimate holy of holies with the Father in his presence. And ultimately, the earthly temples or tabernacles are just a sketch or a shadow of that real true thing, what Jesus, where Jesus has gone. So Jesus becomes this forerunner who's opened up for us the way to God, previously barred into the sanctuary of God's presence. He is there, present, with and for us, not only having done what's necessary to save us, but continuing to intercede for us because he loves us and cares about us. And he wants this hessid, covenantal attachment with us. And he's done what's necessary to maintain that. You see, the shift here is that Jesus is this high priest, not just in, on earth, but ultimately in heaven. There's some similarities and some differences here between the earthly priest and Jesus as a heavenly priest. There's a similarity in terms of both offering gifts and sacrifices, but on earth there are men who offer gifts and sacrifices that have to be repeated. The ministry of Jesus is clearly superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one because it is founded on better promises. The promises are that God's going to come into our heart and our life. He's going to put his law inside of us and enable us to respond to him and continue to follow and serve him. So it's not that, you know, that there's a difference, so to speak, in terms of offering or gifts or sacrifices. Both need to be made. The great difference is that Jesus makes his in heaven, and in having made it in heaven, he's accomplished that work that is now completed. It's a sacrifice. A sacrifice that nobody else could make because it's perfect in nature. But it's also in the right sanctuary, the right space and place to make that sacrifice in order to accomplish this reality for all eternity. So if we find ourselves, even as followers of Christ, in a place of despondency or despair when we're feeling crushed or dejected, bewildered or broken, what we can trust and know is that our eternal salvation is not dependent on our vacillating moods or our unchanging circumstances. Christ has entered the heavenly sanctuary once and for all because he offered his blood for us. He's done what is unrepeatable. It was a one-time act and has now been accomplished for all time. You know, part of my time in Florida, I was just like, man, oh, man, this world is falling apart. I mean, just coming to loose ends. I mean, you know, Russia, invading Ukraine, um, baseball can't agree, smaller deal, but the owners and players can't agree, and it's just like, (laughs) okay, guys, you know. Uh, my son's out there playing high school baseball just for the joy of it. And his face is smiling. And these people that are be paying $30 million a year and making billions of dollars can't figure out how to get along. Um, our local school boards and teachers unions are struggling. And our state they just can't figure out how to stay connected and, and agree and, and, and get there to provide that space and our place for our kids. And it just feels like no one can get along right now. And in the midst of all those broken realities, Jesus is saying, I'm committed to you. I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to redeem your brokenness and restore healing, not just temporarily. I'm not just going to soothe you. I'm actually going to save you and bring your brokenness into a place of eternal healing. And and for us, you know, we all experienced brokenness, experience in brokenness in our childhood, adult relationships, in work, marriages, you know, other family relationships. What what God is doing is restoring this covenantal attachment with us through Jesus, who does not let us go. He doesn't give up. He's he's going to stay true to that commitment to us, and we can trust. That, that then what, you know, we don't have to serve or sacrifice ourselves in such a way to earn that place because Jesus has done it. And when we then offer ourselves to God, we're just saying thank you. I love the story of David Livingston. He was a, a, a missionary that served in the heart of Africa, a Scottish missionary, served in the heart of Africa for 33 years. And people would say to him, like, hey, you, you've just made this great sacrifice and you've suffered so much to bring the gospel to Africa. And Livingston once said, can it be called such a sacrifice when I'm simply offering a small part of myself back to God in response to the great debt owed to the one who left all heaven for me and sacrificed his very life for me. In other words, Livingstone's like, no, what I'm doing is just a response to what God has done. It's not about what I've done. It's about what Christ has done. And so we need to come back to that again and again. And I realize there's a repetitive nature in this part of the book of Hebrews. But I think the writer is saying, no, 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 no. No, this is it. This is the main thing. Jesus is the high priest who initiated this covenant, maintains it, and ultimately fulfills it. Don't give up on that. Don't lose sight of that. He's basically saying, like, if that's, you know, the dartboard and here's the bullseye, don't don't move it over here and say, well, it's part of what Jesus has done and part of what I do. No, he's saying maintain the main thing and keep the sacrifice of Christ at the focus of who you are. And what I love about this church is in the midst of, you know, things that could divide us politically, challenges in terms of staying connected, like all churches have gone through with COVID, we have not moved one inch. In terms of our faith and belief in Jesus, is it the only way to salvation? Amen? That is our foundation. And if you move off of that, you are in an incredibly slippery slope. Because then you're trying to sort of get back there, earn your way back there, and you can't on your own. So our essentials, our foundation of faith, we want to stay rooted in what Christ has done in accomplishing salvation through this new covenant. Because the old covenant, we are told, was... Uh, just did not fulfill uh, that, that the means of staying in relationship with God. God makes a new covenant here because the old covenant was imperfect. It wasn't going to accomplish a continued connected relationship with God because we don't fulfill our part of it. God does his, but we don't fulfill ours. We detach ourselves and going our own way. Like it says in Isaiah fifty three, six, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity or sin of us all. But that we need Jesus to do that for us. So the old covenant was imperfect. It was also external. You know, the, the Ten Commandments were written on tablets of, uh, you know, and, and G- Moses brings them down. And, and before the covenant's even a day old, you know, he brings it down. And the Israelites have already made a golden calf and already turned away from that covenant. And, and Moses, you know, throws down the stone tablets in anger and frustration and, and goes back up and receives the tablets again. But, but the Israelites are going to turn away again. There's no way that, that we can accomplish that external righteousness, an external right relationship with God through our own efforts. We will continue to fall short. So what the writer of Hebrews says in reflection upon Jeremiah 31.1 is that God will write a new law on our hearts. And put it in our minds. God is going to work from the inside through what Christ has done. And through the, the impartation of the Holy Spirit in our life. To then enable and, and encourage us to obey and respond in a way we never could on our own strength or ability. The Old Covenant then becomes obsolete. It is no longer the means of relationship. It's not going to be that, that you know, I as a teacher or Pastor Greg teach you something, and therefore just teaching you enables you to obey it, right? You need to have it come be a part of you, learn it, grow in it, understand it. And, and that's what God does through this new covenant dynamic accomplished in Christ. And the, and the old covenant was ongoing in the sense that you had to continually sacrifice again and again and again. And you know, I'm going to say it this way. Even as followers of Christ, I believe many of us are still living that way. We wake up each day and we think we need to make a, a sacrifice. We need to, you know, go to work and, and accomplish something. We need to do these things. And, and, and we're almost on this continued hamster wheel of trying to, again, earn and deserve God's favor. And God is saying through Christ, I can get you off the hamster wheel. And I want you to know that you don't need to make these ongoing sacrifices to try to earn your way. Christ has already done that. We have a once and for all sacrifice. Instead of the imperfect Old Testament sacrifices, we have a perfect sacrifice. And the Old Covenant has now been superseded in its powerlessness, done away through the power of of the loving God who has this Hesed covenant commitment to us and accomplishes that and fulfills that in Christ. If you look then at verses 8 through 12, we get several I wills, okay? And the I wills of God can rob us of uncertainty and doubt, timidity and fear and reticence. God says, I will make a covenant. I will engrave my laws in their hearts. I will be their God. I will manifest myself to them. I will make myself known to the least as well as the greatest. I will be merciful. I will forget their sins. All tentativeness and hesitancy of the earlier days prior to Christ can be gone. We can be sure that we now have this way to God and the source of salvation in Christ because God will accomplish it. We don't have to on our own. The new, then, quality signifies this fresh quality, not merely uh, you know a re- uh, fresh quality of relationship, a newness or freshness through the representation of Christ doing what we could not do and dying a sacrificial death that we could not accomplish. It's this fresh arrangement brought about by God. The good news, then, is that God did not let go of the rope of relationship with us, But he is holding on to that opposite end of the rope. And he will not let go. And, you know, maybe we've had experiences where somebody, you know, let go of us. And and there was a sense of detachment. and, And we experienced brokenness as a result. But what we can know and trust here is that God will never let go because of what Christ has done for us. Because if he were to let go of us in that, it's like he would be turning, the Father would be turning his back on Christ's sacrifice. And he's not going to turn his back on Christ's sacrifice. He receives that as the source of our salvation. One last illustration and I'll close. I remember being a kid, and, and uh, I it's probably about Levi's age, about nine or so. And, and I remember, you know, my dad was reaching out and just, you know, wrapping his arms around me, He wanted to embrace me. And, and I don't know what the deal was with me, but I was just wanting to pull away. And, and I'm trying to pull away as much as I can. My dad's trying to hold on to me as much as I can. And eventually my dad's like, well, if he really wants to be free, and he let go, and I just, you know, crashed on the floor. And then I'm like, why did you drop me? And I'm upset at him that he, you know, that he didn't keep holding on when everything in me was pulling away. And that's what we're doing in our sin. We're trying to like, press out of the arms of God. But God is saying through Christ and the cross, like, no, I, I've got you. And don't pull away from me in my loving embrace. Stay attached and connected with me. I've got you. And this is the safest place you can be. Friends, that's resting in the salvation that we've received in Christ, and that's taking joy in that and then living freely and lightly as a result. No longer trying to earn our way to heaven, but trusting that Christ is already there and we can trust him. The house of heaven is now safe because he's taken us by the arm, he's hanging on the other side of the rope, and he will not let you go. Friends, I want you to live in that level of assurance and not doubt. I want you to trust and know each day you wake up anew and afresh that the Lord is uh, merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, He's abounding in steadfast love. And whatever you face on any given day, it is not uh, insurmountable for Him. It's not outside of His power to redeem and restore. And that ultimately we can know what awaits us in the midst of the uncertainty of this life. We have a certain Savior who is our foundation. And he's laid that foundation in his own death for us. And that foundation will hold no matter what stress and trials and challenges you're going through right now. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.